What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome to a brand new episode of Ringside Rewind. I am your host, Rishri, a.k.a. Snangle J. And as always, my co-pilot, the number one tag team partner in the wrestling podcast show business. It is Mr. Chris Doyle. Hello, Snaggle. I am excited. We have reached double digits. This is episode 10, and it will be the perfect 10 with maybe a mention or two of Sean Spears. I, you're assuming that I've prepared in any way, oh. shape, or form, but no. Uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah, well, you know, hey, it is episode 10. Uh, and as always, we want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, we're looking forward to this one. This will be a continuation of episode nine, where we did the first part of the birth of AEW. So therefore, by process of elimination, that makes this the second part of the birth of AEW. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to a lot of the episodes that we have coming up over the next weeks and months as we get into the summertime here in 2021. And I'm also looking forward to our staple to kick off the podcast. It is the Dark Matches. Thank you very much, Nagel. We'll kick it off on a bit of a down note, uh, talking about New Jack, one of the more memorable figures in pro wrestling and a focus of an episode of Dark Side of the Ring this past season. Passed away on Friday at the age of 58 due to a heart attack. PW Insider was the first to report the news via his wife, Jennifer, who was living in North Carolina at the time of his death. Born Jerome Young in Greensboro, North Carolina, News Jack rose to prominence as one half of the gangsters with Mustafa Saeed. Uh, after a one-year run in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, they found themselves in ECW. They fit right in with the hardcore style and attitude of the promotion, winning their tag team titles twice, and also one other time with John Kronos of the Eliminators. New Jack stayed with ECW through the end of 2001, and he was involved in the mass transit incident documented in season two of Dark Side of the Ring, where he bladed a 17-year-old Eric Kulas, who was known as Mass Transit. Kulas bled so much due to the cut he required hospitalization and 50 stitches. New Jack was eventually acquitted on aggravated assault charges and a lawsuit against he and ECW failed in court. Outside of a short retirement, New Jack worked the Indies until the end of East. Uh, from the NVCW through 2021, notably working for TNA, XPW, and Combat Zone Wrestling. He was involved in other controversial incidents in matches with Vic Grimes and Gypsy Joe, also documented on a Dark Side of the Ring episode. His final in-ring action was this past April, a tag team match in Tampa, Florida. Once again, New Jack, uh, dead at the age of 58. Uh, I wasn't a huge new jack fan outside of the one episode of dark side of the ring that you mentioned a few times there um i really am not a huge knowledgeable person when it comes to his body of work um i do think that um you know i I did catch paul Heyman's uh eulogy that wasn't quite a eulogy on talking smack this past friday i definitely suggest you go out of your way I know WWE has posted it to most of their social media channels. I definitely suggest you go out of your way uh, to watch that. It's only a couple minutes long, but uh, it really, uh, you know, the one thing that I, I've always enjoyed about Paul Heyman is he is he is nothing but honest and appreciative for 
anybody that he has had dealings with in the past. And, you know, New Jack is one of those guys, he will forever be a polarizingly controversial wrestling figure. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's always sad when this sort of thing happens. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, again, I think, I think, uh, Heyman probably, probably summarized it best. Yeah, definitely go out of your way to check that out because it was a great little tribute to New Jack. I would say probably the second best entrance in ECW, only second to Sandman, uh, with the Natural Born Killers song, uh, that played throughout his matches, um, on reddit today there was an unedited version because it's hard to find uh, old ecw with the music included these days but uh, there is some on there and uh, it was uh, a great little memory continuing on with our dark matches uh, new japan pro wrestling has announced that they will return to running shows on may 22nd the company has released a statement saying they will resume the road to wrestle grand slam tour starting uh, this upcoming saturday They've also announced dates on May 24th, 25th, and 26th at Kirk and Hall. New Japan made the move to cancel their events as nine people tested positive for COVID-19 following the second night of their past uh, large show, Wrestling Donkatu. Uh, today's statement is that these wrestlers have continued to display minor symptoms and have received medical treatment. The company says further the wrestlers and staff will only be allowed to participate after diligent screening, the two scheduled Dome events for Yokohama and Tokyo have been delayed due to the state of emergency being extended in Japan till the end of the month. In other wrestling COVID-19 news, Ring of Honor will join several of their peers in the pro wrestling industry by announcing this July's Best in the World pay-per-view will have fans in the building. The, this Sunday, July 11th event will be held live in Baltimore, Maryland's Chesapeake Employers Insurance Arena, with both a limited capacity and pod seating for up to six people to ensure six feet of distance between each pod. They will also require masks to be worn throughout the show with temperature checks done upon entry. AEW has announced they will start back on the road with Dynamite the first week of July, while WWE is also eyeing mid-July as a return for touring. Uh, they are planning uh, right now to have the Money in the Bank pay-per-view in July with fans in the stands. Yeah, it's nice to see um, us kind of getting past this and wrestling starting to happen with people. Um, I think it was a, it was a very nice scene uh, at WrestleMania to have, you know, as many people that were there. Um, it really, you know, brought that, that extra element back to the atmosphere. I think, you know, even in the limited capacity that they've had fans at, at Dynamite, I know there's only several hundred there at a time, um, but it has been, you know, nice to just have those those natural reactions, albeit small. So it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, how these companies sort of transition to going back on the road. I think with WWE especially, where they've used the Thunderdome so effectively, uh, and seeing the return of, of things like pyro to the entrances, will that go away now? Will pyro be sort of back to where we were pre, um, pre COVID where pyro was an absolute no, no. Um, cause I've kind of enjoyed the pyro being back, not going to lie. Um, but yeah, it'll be nice to see them get, get back on the road and, and then start to increase, 
um, crowd sizes as we start to return to quote unquote normal. And speaking of which, the third uh, little note here in our uh, dark <laughs> matches this week, um, all it says is zombies. This was yours. You're, you put that in there. Obviously, we're talking about WrestleMania Backlash, which occurred on Sunday night. Um, I didn't watch the show, um, but I was following along kind of on social media. I had a couple of other things going on. And all I see, and I messaged... Uh, Snaggle and I said, "Why am I seeing zombies in my timeline?" So here's the thing. I, I, I'll be very honest here. WrestleMania Backlash was a fantastic pay per view. Now we were talking about it before we went on the air. Usually in in the the more modern era, um, Backlash has been absolute garbage. Um, you know because it's leftover WrestleMania rematch stuff. And really, it's always, like, in recent memory, it's been kind of filler as we start on the road to SummerSlam, where we sort of, you know, people get their quote-unquote rematch clauses, and then we kind of move on. And we move towards Money in the Bank, we move towards SummerSlam, and we move towards the fall with with fresh storylines. Um, even though a lot of the matches on WrestleMania Backlash were sort of centered around, you know, fallout from WrestleMania, Minus the zombies match, which I'll talk about in a second. This was some of the best wrestling on a WWE event in a very, very long time. Uh, the pre-show match between Ricochet and Sheamus was great. Um, I think it looks like they might finally start taking the leash off of Ricochet a little bit. Um, doing things like springboard 450s. Um, looking like the ricochet that we knew from the indies and from various other promotions prior to him coming to WWE. That was great. Uh, the women's triple threat was, was to me probably one of the lower matches of the night in terms of quality, but it was still very, very good. Um, I am not a huge Rhea Ripley fan. I think she has awkward chemistry with Asuka, which I think showed at WrestleMania as well. I think she has a little bit better chemistry with Charlotte. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with this uh, after, you know, Rhea, you know, won again, but Charlotte didn't factor in the decision. Um, the SmackDown tag team match was a kind of what you expected it to be um, with the really good feel-good moment at the end. Um, you know, the SmackDown Women's Championship match was really good, which I think we all expected Bianca Belair and Bailey to have a great match. I think we expected, you know, the championship match between Lashley, Drew McIntyre, and Braun Strowman, three big, you know, train track running dudes, not to steal Braun's gimmick. But this match to me was way better than I expected it to be. I expected this match to be boring and plodding and, um, you know, just the classic triple threat where one guy's out of it. That wasn't the case at all. This match was was absolutely fantastic. These big dudes uh, really went at each other. It was a great match, great storyline. And then, obviously, we knew Reigns and Cesaro was going to be a great match. Reigns and Cesaro, not going to lie, this match is going to be in the conversation for match of the year. Uh, it was that good. If, if you are going to watch any match from this, I would suggest you go watch Reigns and Cesaro. 
Uh, it was just absolutely amazing. The absolute stinker part was Damian Priest and The Miz. Now, for those of you who are unaware, there is a movie coming out next week, I think, uh, on Netflix and a few other services called Army of the Dead. It stars Dave Batista. It's by Zack Snyder. There's a bunch of other people in it who I don't know, and I don't care. Is this, movie, is this movie seven hours long, like the Justice League? Who knows? Possibly. Oof. But it centers around Las Vegas and zombies. At the beginning of WrestleMania Backlash, there were, B- Batista was actually reading a whatever they prepared for him. Everybody was extremely excited uh, on Twitter that Batista's back. I'm like, guys, I could record lines for WWE from the comfort of my basement. It doesn't mean I'm any more involved with the product. But what it became very apparent was that that intro and then this match were a giant ad for this movie. Um, there was a scene early in the evening where John Morrison was going to the Lumberjacks locker room and he opens the door and there's zombies inside. And he leaves the door open and the zombies escape. When the match starts, the zombies are the Lumberjacks. for the Because now, of course, Damian Priest won the right to name the stipulation for the match. He names it a lumberjack match. Well, the zombies end up being the lumberjacks. And it's this weird, like all of the fan uh, Thunderdome TVs are are not showing fans. They're showing, you know, weird colors and things. And the arena's very fiendishly red. And to make a long story short, the zombies end up eating The Miz and uh, John Morrison. So they're they're gone. They're not going to be on the show anymore. Who knows? But and then at the end of it, for the uh, for the advertisemental icing on the cake, uh, Damian Priest, who during his intro turns around and fires the arrow at the the jumbotron or the titantron, which shows Damian Priest his name. Well, he points that same arrow at the Thunderdome display above the ring, and it lights up Army of the Dead. This entire match was designed as an advertisement for Army of the Dead. I'm not going to get too mad at WWE for doing the movie thing. Because AEW has done it a couple times with the corporate synergy with Kong versus Godzilla. And then they had the best friends do a Rick and Morty match at one point. So I can't get real upset about that. But... I don't know about actually having zombies as lumberjacks and and things like that. It just seems to be, once again, here's a good idea. Let's send it over the top by about a thousand times than it should that be. That was exactly what it was. Like, And again, wrestling is always going to be a cross-promotional sort of thing. Because of the, the fact that, you know, it airs during prime time. And, you know, uh, on the WWE Network, and I think you're going to see this even more now with, with Peacock's involvement, but this was so far beyond anything that was absolutely necessary. It was it completely ruined any give-a-damn level in this match. Uh, and like I said, this was the absolute turd stain on what was a very, 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 very good pay-per-view for WWE. 
Those are your dark matches for this week. If news breaks and uh, Snaggle and I can get in front of a microphone, we will bring you uh, a rewind rebound uh, to uh, bring you up to date. Or we'll talk about it next time here on Ringside Rewind. Now, Snaggle, what do you say we uh, get back into the time machine to where AEW begins again? That's right. So if you listen to our last episode, we ended off um, at the press conference, the announcing of AEW outside of the TIAA Bank field in Jacksonville, Florida, right across the road from where WWE had a Monday Night Raw. And we ended it where the moment that everything changed, and that was because the song Judas played throughout the crowd and out comes Y2J himself Chris Jericho to a I mean there was probably like a hundred people there so it it sounded like a bigger uh, or less of an ovation than I think he was probably getting just considering um, you know the, the, the number of people that were there um, but he steps to the mic and he proclaims that I am Chris Jericho and I am all in with all elite wrestling. And at that moment, you're like, holy crap. Something, I mean, here's the thing. This wasn't totally, completely unpredictable that Chris Jericho was going to sign with AEW. You know, he had been doing work in New Japan, but I mean, he had been seen recently on WWE television, wearing his uh, knockoff Bullet Club shirt, the Alpha Club that he wore in New Japan. So his status in terms of his WWE relationship was sort of up in the air. Uh, But I guess at this point, that status was up in the air no more. Well, and Jericho had made an appearance at All In. Right. At uh, uh, dressing up as Pentagon. Right. So it wasn't as if, again, it didn't come out of nowhere that Jericho was going to do this, but Jericho had just done New Japan. He had also just done one of the Saudi Arabia shows for WWE, as you said. like, And apparently was in the running to do an even more high-profile match in Saudi Arabia for WWE than he, was, he ended up being in a battle royal but he was originally supposed to be in the casket match with the undertaker that Rusev ended up getting. Mm-hmm. So things were not all that cozy between WWE and Jericho. Yeah. Um, Vince, apparently Jericho has said in, in various places that he thought the new Japan thing was a one shot deal. So he could go make some money and then he'd come back when he started talking about doing the second one, that's when things kind of went off the rails for uh, Jericho and WWE. Uh, Also just kind of want to mention as well as at that press conference, uh, SoCal Uncensored was announced. That's Christopher Daniel, Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian at the time. Hangman Adam Page was announced. Uh, Dr. Britt Baker, Joey Janela and Pac, as well as a working relationship with, the Chinese professional wrestling promotion, Oriental Wrestling Entertainment. Yeah, and the 
so the big question mark coming out of this, because at this point, um, you know, we have the makings of a roster, some really big, intriguing names. Um, you know, you ha- you have this this partnership with with the Oriental Wrestling Entertainment. Um, you know, you have Pac, you have Jericho, you have Cody, the Bucks. Um, you have this, you know, the announcement that they're going to be doing uh, Double or Nothing. Um, the biggest question mark that came out of this was, where's Kenny? Uh, because up until this point, from the time that the the video dropped, you know, announcing AEW, for weeks, we did not see Kenny Omega and hear from Kenny Omega in any official capacity. Um, the The dirt sheets at the time were reporting that he was weighing a very large offer from WWE, and there seemed to be momentum moving towards Kenny Omega becoming a WWE superstar. Um, we know that in later in January, the Royal Rumble happens. There were a lot of rumors at that time that, that Kenny was going to be in the Royal Rumble, a la AJ Styles in 2016. Um, but none of that comes to pass, as in February... Uh, they finally make the big announcement that Kenny Omega will be officially joining AEW and also becoming the company's fourth co-executive vice president. Uh, on February 7th, the AEW group would announce that tickets would be released for Double or Nothing, uh, as well as the signings of the Lucha Brothers, Pentagon Jr. Ray Phoenix, the best friends, Trent Barretta and Chuck Taylor, and another partnership with a out-of-country organization, this time with Mexican promotion Lucha Libre AAA Worldwide. So, Chris, do you remember around this time the, the, the kind of the Kenny chatter? And did you really think that there was a above-good chance that he was going to be going to the quote-unquote the show? I didn't think so because... I had seen interviews with Kenny in the past. Uh, there was a really good one uh, that was done, you know, a shoot interview style called Developmentally Something that I don't remember the name of right now that he did, where it was basically, it was hosted by Kurt Hawkins, and it was a bunch of the developmental guys at the time uh, of OVW, Heartland Wrestling, and Deep South where they would get together and tell stories about what happened in developmental before it was NXT and the performance center and things like that. Right. And Kenny did tell stories, but did not seem happy. Like I've seen a few of these shows developmentally speaking. That's the name of the series. Um, I've seen a bunch of them and everybody kind of has fun and tell stories and, and goes along with things like that. But Kenny wasn't, happy by the stories that he was telling like everybody else was kind of going for the haha he had no haha at all so i really didn't think at the time that kenny would hit wwe i always thought that he would be able to do the aew thing because i thought they would be working with new japan which would leave that door open right um now, that being said, the door really didn't open for that for about a year and a half or two years. But um, 
I didn't think WWE was where Kenny would go. And even more so, if he did go, I didn't think he'd be successful. Not I because think... of anything Kenny would or wouldn't do. Yeah. Just, I don't think he fits in that process. Yeah. And I kind of mentioned a guy of a similar ilk earlier, right? Like, would he have gotten the AJ Styles treatment? Because, I mean, AJ kind of came into to a huge amount of fanfare. You know, he, he eventually had the, those matches with Cena. He eventually became the world champion. But now he's just kind of a mid-card afterthought. I'm sure he's getting paid really, really, really well to be a mid-card afterthought. But, like, I, I, like, here's my thing, right? You know, there's been a lot of rumors that, you know, that he was offered, like, something in the five-year, $30 million range to go to WWE. Um, like, those sort of things are, are have been around and are always going to be, you know, more rumors than truth. But I guarantee that at that time, WWE would have offered him a very handsome amount of money. So I think the chances of him going to WWE were not zero. And, and just based on the simple fact that if they were not zero and he was going to be all elite and all in right from the get-go, you would have rolled him out at that initial press conference and everything would have been hunky-dory. But, you know, I agree to a certain extent that I don't think the WWE environment, especially in 2019, would have been very Kenny Omega friendly. Um, and you look at some of the stuff he's done in AEW, especially in the last year since he's sort of reintroduced the the, the cleaner gimmick Um I feel like we're the wrestling universe is much better off with the Kenny Omega that we have now, as opposed to the Kenny Omega that we would have gotten in WWE. But maybe in, that's just me. No, I listen. I, I think it's right. I'm, I'm not exactly with you on the AJ styles train as a mid card. I think, I think AJ is, he's been pushed great for four and a half years. Mm. He has said himself that he's, he's not, that much longer he doesn't want to wrestle full-time much longer mm -hmm. he is looking like he's a guy who will be in the performance center as a teacher i i have no doubt um so you know works tags easier on the body gets to bring along that big colossus and i don't say that as because that's his you know marketing name he actually is that big um Osmos, I can't say his name right. Almost, 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 something almost. like that. Um, I, I always pronounce it wrong too. Yeah, but he gets like AJ gets to bring guys like that along, and that helps. Yep. Oh, I, I'm not snubbing up my nose at it at all. I'm just again, you know, that that's sort of what he is now, which I'm sure is perfectly fine, um, because of all of the reasons, um because of all of the reasons that you mentioned, to be honest. So also coming out of that rally in Jacksonville, uh, a match featuring SoCal Uncensored, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky would be against OWE's SEMA and two partners of his choosing. That was going to happen at Double for Nothing. On March 3rd, OWE announced a tag match tournament to determine who SEMA's partners would be, and later on, it was announced that SEMA would team with T-Hawk and L. Lindemann. 
Ah, yes. So begins the tradition of AEW starting off pay-per-views with uh, the with SCU in the first match. But we'll yes. talk more. We'll talk more about that in a wee little bit. Uh, also, not lost in all of this, the maybe the biggest news out of the whole thing: May fifteenth, two thousand and nineteen. AEW and Warner Media announced a deal for a weekly primetime show that would air on TNT. And if that sounds familiar to you, that is because TNT was the home of WCW's Monday Nitro, especially during the Monday Night Wars from 1995 to 2001 effectively bringing Warner Media TNT back into the wrestling spotlight that they could not get out of fast enough 20 years earlier. They ran away from wrestling so fast. Now they're back. Part of that has to do with the fact that when you look at AEW and you literally have billionaires behind it, as CBS Sports was quoted at the time, they described AEW as, quote, the first company with major financial backing to take a swing at beginning to compete with WWE on a major level in nearly two decades. Leading into this, I think a lot of people assumed AEW was going to be on TV. They leaked, not leaked, but they promoted ahead of time that they would have a major announcement in terms of something to do with television. Uh, a lot of people speculated, you know, that that maybe it was going to be an online thing. Maybe it was going to be like a YouTube or a Netflix show. Uh, maybe it was going to be, you know, on one of the more fringe networks. But here we are 20 years later and weekly wrestling is coming back to TNT. Th this was another one of those moments where you like, these guys, are they're taking this seriously. Oh, for sure. TNT Wrestling built Ted Turner's networks. That's that's not even something that can be argued. Yeah. The 605 WCW or NWA show that Ted Turner had on since it was just an Atlanta television station is what built the Superstation along with Andy Griffith. Uh, Ted Turner has made that perfectly clear. Uh, so much to the point that uh, there was a board meeting one time where one of the board members said we should get rid of professional wrestling on our networks because it doesn't make us look good. And Ted Turner turned to him and said, as long as my name is on the door, this will be a home for, for professional wrestling because he knew how important it was to the building blocks of his networks and really the networks that started everything else for Ted. Um, where things got in trouble was the Ted Turner, the Turner mergers with, yep. with, uh, Time uh, Warner, Warner Time Warner. One, yeah. And then there was some, there the, the one there after the, the AOL, a the AOL merger it basically killed wrestling. Yeah. yeah. And then if, if we want to move into today, we find out that, uh, Warner Media, which is the kind of the owner of TNT, has been sold today. 
uh, as we tape this on Monday, uh, AT&T's Warner Media is being spun off and combined with Discovery in a new standalone media company. So that's something to keep an eye on when it comes to AEW and the second show and streaming rights and things along that nature. Maybe things will repeat, history will repeat itself. But as for right now, TNT has to love what they're getting with AEW and Dynamite. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it has given them, again, TNT at this point, you know, is is their biggest sort of claim is to NBA. Um, and more recently, they've also signed uh, to be one of the U.S. broadcast partners for the NHL. So, you know, this is sort of this, you know, TNT and basketball have been synonymous now for years and years and years. Um, they do an amazing job with their basketball presentation. They've added the the AEW Dynamite. There's talks of there being a second show, perhaps on one of the subsidiary networks. Um, and wouldn't then now, you lo- wouldn't you love to see a wrestling show on TBS at six oh five Eastern on Saturdays? I absolutely would. I wouldn't watch it during that time because I've got better things to do with my life. But I would be. <laughs> it, but the but the, the the optics of it would be great. And now TNT has gotten in back into, or not back into, but they've gotten into the hockey game as well. So I think you're starting to see TNT sort of dip in their toes into more of these sport things. I don't think 2021 and 2001 are in any way, shape, or form equivalent. I don't think TNT and anybody who is in control of TNT has any interest in getting rid of AEW. Uh, it does, you know, huge numbers for them. Uh Again, you know, they're also getting the 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 out of the country broadcast stuff with TSN also. Um, so, you know, th- there's there's that relationship as well. Uh, but I, I think you're going to continue to see Dynamite on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and like I said, it's been good for them. I'm sure they'll, you know, but again, as we always know, in the world of America business mergers, the only thing for sure is nothing's for sure. I think what they'll say, what's what's different this time around is you want things that are PVR proof, like sports, yeah. like well, wrestling. And, you, and live, live things are PVR proof for the most part. Well, and, uh, and, the, and streaming. Uh, and the huge difference as well is that uh, TNT doesn't own AEW, right? Like that's the other thing is 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 in the late '90s and in the early 2000s, the broadcaster was the owner. You know, the network and then all of the companies that inherited TBS and TNT. You know, when when they went to AOL, they went to Time Warner. They inherited the massive expenses that was WCW. There's none of that here. TNT is literally just facilitating a way for the cons to get their product on TV. So again, very, very apples and oranges for 2001 to 2021 in terms of network mergers. Because again, you're at this point where Warner Media doesn't have the giant expenses and liabilities that come with owning a wrestling company. They just have, they're just providing the time slot. And as long as that time slot continues to generate ratings, which in turn continue to generate ad revenue, uh, they're going to continue to show Dynamite Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so let's start getting into a little bit of the how we get to the pay-per-view itself. 
Um, little look back through the lens here in history. Uh, January 4th, 2018, at New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 12, Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho, a couple of Winnipeg boys, wrestle for the first time. Kenny Omega picks up the win. Fast forward to September at All In. Uh, after Kenny Omega defeats Penta El Zero, he was attacked by Jericho. Uh, and then the following month, they were involved in a six-man tag on Jericho's cruise ship, which is affectionately known as the Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, uh, where Omega's team defeated Jericho's team. In January 2019, Jericho signed with AEW, and after Omega announced that he had signed with the promotion the following month, there was a confrontation between the two. Uh, they brawled. They were separated by Cody, Christopher Daniels, and security. This was the event that was on, like at like a outdoor bar somewhere in Vegas to promote Double or Nothing. I remember it vividly because I kept waiting, thinking somebody was going to get dumped in that pool that was behind the podium, uh, <laughs> and it just never happened. Um, so at that point, a rematch between Jericho and Omega was announced for Double or Nothing. Uh, it was a later confirmed that the winner of the Omega Jericho main event would face the winner of the Casino Battle Royal, which occurred on the pre-show uh, for the inaugural AEW World Championship at a future date. I think, I mean, really, is there two better guys to headline your first true pay-per-view than Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega? Not looking at the at the roster as it was attached at this time. Um, Omega and Jericho blew the roof off the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom. It had been a year since that had occurred. I mean, it was brought up and billed as the main event straight up. You don't have a world championship, so you can't have a world championship match as your main event. It was... It was the best. You take the two best guys, you put them at the top of the card, and you say, let them go. Yep, that's pretty much it. Um, at the inaugural rally in Jacksonville, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, announced that she had signed with AEW the following month during the Las Vegas rally. Brandy Rhodes, the chief brand officer, announced that Kylie Ray and Nyla Rose had also been signed with the promotion. Following some remarks from Kylie Ray, she was interrupted by Rose, which led to the, the dreaded stare down. Uh, but they were separated before a brawl could occur. Uh, one day later, they announced a triple threat match uh, between Dr. Britt Baker, Kyla Ray, and Nyla Rose for Double or Nothing, which, as we'll get to a little bit later, would eventually become a fatal four-way. Kylie Ray is one of those footnotes. And you kind of get into it a little bit as we as we get through it. People that I thought were going to be big in AEW or at least be a part of AEW that appeared at double for nothing. And then were never seen again. Mm -hmm. uh, Kylie Ray went to impact and then has, has since retired um, due to some mental health issues. Yeah. It, so yeah, sad to see really, I know she was battling, battling some, some internal demons. Um, with, with with mental health problems while she was in AEW and while she was in Impact and 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 she just decided you know what enough is enough and I'm going to take my life in a different direction. Yeah, but Nyla Rose is somebody you can build around. Britt Baker, 
somebody you can build around, not seen on TV a lot, but somebody you can build a division around. I think at some point, uh, we're going to do an episode on, on Dr. Britt Baker, uh, in the future, because I find her, the way she was presented from the get go in AEW up until what we have now, I find her career to be utterly fascinating. Um, from the simple standpoint, you know, everything that they built into double or nothing, you could tell they were building her up to be the face of the women's division from the get go. She was on all the promotional materials. Anytime there was a press conference or a TV appearance, Dr. Britt Baker was there. Um, and then shortly into the run, they realized she's terrible in the ring. And yeah. she she really needs to, you know, we need to rethink this whole thing. And then now we've gone full circle to where she's really embraced her character better than ever before. Her in-ring work is miles better than where she's been. And as we're heading towards another double or nothing here in a few weeks, um, she's wrestling for the women's championship against Hikaru Shida in a match that I think she's going to win. Uh, and I think we're going to see what Britt Baker can finally officially do as the face of the AEW's women's division, I find her growth over the last two years to be something that gets really overlooked uh, in the in the whole women's wrestling landscape. Uh, Do you think the AEW women's division deserves its own YouTube show? I think they're getting. I think there is a very good case to be made that it could. Um, I think the the AEW's the AEW women's division is full of extremely talented performers. Um, I do think that there are a few spots where I would like to see them add some talent, especially some more recognizable upper level talent to sort of give them a bit more star power and name recognition. But the thing is, is that uh, one thing I've always appreciated about AEW is I feel like they're not afraid to be innovative in terms of presentation. And, you know, people have been crying for WWE to start a women's show. They have so much talent that just gets lost and never seen uh, other than if you watch, you know, main event um, and, and they just don't do it i mean they have so much talent that they would easily be able to start a women's show i own a network this is what i don't understand they have a network they have nothing but free time like yeah and it would be great programming because they again you look at and and people are going to hate me for this but you look at somebody like dana brooke not the greatest character not the greatest on the mic, not the greatest in the ring, but for probably the 20th woman down the rankings pole, she's great. She's athletic. She, you know, she can get through a five or six minute match and not embarrass herself. You want to tell me that you, you could not build a show, you know, again, you're not going to build a, a, a women's program 
solely based around focusing on the title picture because that's all we're getting on the main shows now. We're talking about the women's title on Raw, the women's title on SmackDown, and then the odd glimpse into what's going on with the the SmackDown women's champion or the the women's tag team championships, which are now in possession of uh, Tamina and, and Natalia. Yeah, like you know, give these women more opportunity for for them to shine. I do think you will see AEW put out some kind of women's YouTube program, but I would say probably before the end of the year. Um, you know, now that things are loosening up restriction wise, now that they're going to be able to have more people at tapings, uh, maybe run more tapings. Um, I, I think it's something you're going to see. And, and I think, you know, again, this is a perfect opportunity for them to bolster their women's division with, uh, with Billy Kay is out there. Peyton Royce is out there. Uh, you know, again, this is, this is just another opportunity where AEW could take advantage. I would love to see AEW have something like the performance center or yeah. not even necessarily the performance center, but the Capitol wrestling center or their own TV studio that you could put a hundred people in uh, and just run young guy matches like tape dark, dark evolution and your women's show there. Yeah. And you have a hundred people in the background. And if you only got 50, you put them all on one side, you know, like uh, I just think something like that. I think a hundred percent you're going to see dark elevation become a developmental program again when the when the restrictions are loosened to the point where they could facilitate that happening. I still think you're going to see dark be, um, you know, be sort of a you know taped on Wednesday for the next Tuesday at wherever Dynamite is. I think that's going to continue. But you've got the Monday show. I definitely think you're going to see that move towards a more developmental feel. I would not be surprised if Dark Elevation ends up breaking off from the travel schedule of Dynamite once they get back on the road and do sort of the, like, they just keep filming it in Jacksonville. Because, they, again, you've got the facilities. Everything is right there. Mm -hmm. They've had this facility for the last 15 months during COVID. Um, you know, the cons own the building. So you everything is in place for once you pick up the main core of the show and take it out on the road again, you could still film Dark Elevation at Daly's place. And, and, you know, like you said, bring a couple hundred fans in so that the, you know, the young talent could get an opportunity to wrestle in front of fans, cut a few promos. Uh, and uh, it's going to be, again, now that they've sort of built up this content package, and now that we're looking at sort of this resuming of travel schedule, it's going to be very interesting to see what they kind of do with it. Um, the Lucha Brothers have a, uh, announced that they signed with AEW during the Las Vegas rally. Following that announcement, they attacked the Young Bucks uh, on the 23rd of February of 2019 at AAW Wrestling's The Art of War. The Young Bucks attacked the Lucha Brothers. Two days later, a match between the two teams was announced for double or nothing. On March 16th at AAA's Rey de Reyes, the, there's no way I got that right, but we'll just go with it. The Young Bucks defeated the Lucha Brothers for the AAA World Tag Team Championships, subsequently turning their Double or Nothing match into a rematch for the Tag Team Championships. This was a great way of getting around not having their own titles. Yeah, 100%. This... this introduce people to 
the Lucha Bros, a lot because a, a, a lot of mainstream people had no idea who the hell they were. A lot of mainstream people had no idea who the hell the Young Bucks were. Um, and this, you know, this sort of thing, this was kind of the, the era where you would see the Young Bucks would show up randomly on uh, indie shows and offer people contracts. I remember at this time, you would see the Young Bucks show up at like an indie show and, and you know, they would come out of the crowd and they would offer a, a team, a, you know, AEW contracts. And it was great content. They did millions of views for them on YouTube. And, you know, it, it was a way for, for people to immediately connect with these new tag teams as well as connect with the Young Bucks for, you know, the less than hardcore wrestling fan that didn't know them. And you had these these sort of confrontations between the Young Bucks and the Lucha Bros that occurred at indie shows. And then I remember when the news broke of the Young Bucks defeating the Lucha Bros in Mexico for the AAA World Tag Team Champion. It was huge news. Huge news. And they immediately turned that into a, a rematch at Double or Nothing. And you know, they started the, the content machine going to really introduce these teams to everybody. And, you know, you were, I was invested in it. I didn't, I mean, I knew of the young bucks from the, my limited new Japan knowledge. I didn't know a whole lot about Pentagon and Ray Phoenix. I, I will admit that, but you know, again, this is where AEW was so effective at using free media to, you know, not only hype up their product that they were creating, but to introduce, you know, more casual wrestling fans to talent. And, you know, you watched a few of those clips and you became immediately invested in where the storyline was going. And, and when they had the confrontation in Vegas at the, um, you know, at the aforementioned, podium in front of the pool where nobody ended up in the pool really important um you know i remember when when pentagon hit the little you know his finisher on one of the jacksons on the stage and you were like oh this is going to be good yeah the package package because these guys these guys are the ev these guys are the evps and you're dunking them like on the stage this is going to be good yeah and as we're going to see later, it was damn good. Exactly. Uh, on February 20th, on the road to Double or Nothing on YouTube, Cody announced the second over-the-budget battle royal for the buy-in pre-show, the initial participants being Sonny Kiss, uh, Kip Sabian, and Brandon Cutler. On May 6th, the match was renamed the Casino Battle Royal. The rules are there would be 21 entrants. Five entrants would start the match in every three minutes, Five more entered with the 21st and final entrant entering alone. It was later confirmed that the winner would receive a future AEW World Championship match against the winner of Kenny and Jericho. On May 8th, uh, Kip Sabian was taken out of the Battle Royal and it was announced that he would face Sammy Guevara on the buy-in pre-show. Well, let's stick with Cody for a minute uh, because on April 20th, 2019, after weeks of teasing who he would be facing at Double or Nothing, he announced 
he would be facing his own brother. That's right. He announced he would be facing Dustin Rhodes, formerly known as Gold Dust. At double or nothing, uh, he was granted his release earlier in the year. Uh, in the following weeks, Cody took out this attitude that beating his brother would be a way to quote unquote kill the attitude era yeah i wasn't a big fan (laughs) of the whole let's make this about the attitude era and not two brothers yeah Um, it's it seemed really seemed like a hat on a hat at that point um it was gonna be a great match Dustin was in amazing shape for a guy who's been doing that 30 years. He's 51. Yeah. He was, yeah, he's 50, uh, 50 or so during, during this double or nothing and just looks great. And that swing, that swinging power slam of his, it just, and let's face facts. Dustin does not exactly had the easiest life in the world. He's had his problems. He's had the demons that he's fought and won against. And just being the son of Dusty Rhodes and ended up being where he is was hard enough. And then having the issues that he had with with things later on in life, for him to be in the shape he's in then, then for this double or nothing and now is amazing yeah it 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 really was and you bring up a point there and this is something i don't want to labor on it too long but one of my biggest pet peeves of aew is their constant need to poke wwe i feel like it's like ingrained and two years later this is still something that pisses me off i wish they would just leave wwe alone and you know, again, this whole trying to kill the Attitude Era, it did nothing for me. There was plenty of story there with just Cody versus Dustin. And you didn't need this whole killing the Attitude Era stuff. We're going to talk about some of the other aspects of this when we get to the event itself. But that's been something that for two years has bothered me about AEW, is their constant need to try to poke the bear that is WWE. Do you not see it as them having fun at, with it? Like I, don't I think really, to a certain extent, yes. In like I don't see it as an issue yes. that they're, you know, we're going to take on the big boys. And I think they have fun with it. I well, don't think. I'll ahead. give you a good. I'll give you a good example, right? So a couple of weeks ago, when they had the blood and guts match on Dynamite, it was reported that people inside the WWE said, and I quote. They just set the wrestling business back 30 years. Fast forward to last night and after the zombie match, um, Chris Jericho tweets, wow, they just set the wrestling business back 30 years. That to me is funny. When, you know, when they do things on uh, Dynamite, like the Young Bucks have been doing as of late, you know, trying to copy other people's mannerisms. For example, when Nick, or was it Matt Jackson did the, uh, I'm sorry, I love you before he did a super kick. Uh, like, you know, that to me, I find, because again, that's part of their current 
heelish character, right? Yes. But, like, like we're going to talk about on the show, like, the throne thing to me, that was completely unnecessary. Like, I, like it, it, sometimes I feel like they have this desire to draw attention and create controversy with WWE, and maybe that's part of their business plan, but there's just certain situations for me where I'm just like, enough, enough already of sticking it to WWE, and let's just focus on what we're doing with our own product. But maybe that's just me. No, listen, I think that's, I think it's a fair statement. Um, the throne thing, yes. Gee, I, I don't even know if that's an AEW thing or if it's a Cody thing. Well, that's the thing, right? It could be, it could be the latter for sure. Uh, uh, we were, we were supposed oh, to have one more. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, I was, I was going to skip to that. So go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, we were supposed to have one more match at double or nothing. Uh, it was supposed to be a match between uh, hangman, Adam page and Pac. Uh, it was announced for double or nothing, but it was reported. The match was canceled and no longer taking place due to quote, creative differences. As a result of the cancellation, they wrestled a match at WrestleGate pro but a week before Double or Nothing, in a surprise appearance, Page answered an open challenge by Pac that ended in, in disqualification with Page winning. After the match, Pac attacked Page's knee and said that was his goal all along, to injure Page. And with that done, he had no reason to show up at Double or Nothing. Uh, it was done to write the match off the card. Later that week on the episode of Being the Elite, Page was selling the knee injury and said he couldn't wrestle at double or nothing yeah there was a lot written about Pac at this time about him being difficult to work with about him being uh insisting that he could not lose um you know if, whatever the circumstances was the circumstances were um you know uh, we ended up losing out because I think Pac and, and Paige, they had sort of naturally built a rivalry, you know, right from the initial press conference up until this point. Um, it's unfortunate that it went down like this. Uh, you know, as we'll see in the, in the weeks and months ahead, obviously Pac was able to sort of fix up whatever differences he had with, with AEW creative and, you know, ended up coming over. So in the end, it all worked out, but it was it was kind of a kind of a down part of of this particular event. Speaking of the event, it's double or nothing from the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada, where dreams come true. Uh, May twenty fifth, two thousand and nineteen, Saturday night pay per views. My God. Right off the bat, they were just smart. Yeah. Uh, 11,000 fans in attendance. Um, my first and really only issue with this card is the first match. It is the Casino Battle Royal, uh, where the winner would get a AEW World Championship title match opportunity in the future. My thing with this is, if you're going to have a battle royal where the winning participant gets a world title shot, have it on the damn main show. Why would you relegate this to the pre-show? Well, let me I think let me tell you why I think they did. And I'm going to do that by telling you who was in this battle royal. Yeah, this is true. Uh 
the, they did it by card suits. So the first one was the clubs. They kicked it off. It was kicked off by Dustin Thomas, who is a double uh, a leg amputee who was in the match. Uh, MJF, Sunny Days, who I had never heard of before or, or after. Again. <laughs> I have no idea where he fell nope. out of the Same. sky out of a hot yep. air balloon yep. and disappeared. Yep, um, gone. Brandon Cutler and Michael Nakazawa were the first five in there. Um, then in the Diamonds group, it was Isaiah Cassidy, uh, Jimmy Havoc, Joey Janela, Brian Pillman Jr., and Sean Spears making his surprise debut. Ten. 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 But, like, in the Di- I don't have any issue with anybody in the Diamonds. Ten. Like, yeah, I mean, all five of those guys, uh, is it five, five or four? Five. How many there was in that group? They've yeah. all played pretty key roles uh, in, in AEW so far. I know Jimmy Havoc is is out of the company now. Um, but, you know, they've all had, you know, played pretty key roles in kind of getting this company off the ground. Uh, your hearts were Billy Gunn, Glacier, Jungle Boy, Mark Queen, Mark Quinn, sorry, and Ace Romero. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Ace Romero, uh, impact guy. Yep. For the most part. Uh, other yep. than that, Glacier's there because he's a buddy of Cody's. He's a member yep. of the Nightmare family. I think he trains in the Nightmare factory. Uh, Billy Gunn's one of the trainers for AEW. Um, so, I mean, again, other than Ace Romero, everybody has a spot yep. in in AEW. Then your spades was Luchasaurus, Marco Stunt, Sonny Kiss, Tommy Dreamer, and Orange Cassidy. Yep. So good again, group again, good a good group. Your yep. Joker was Adam Page. Yep. And when you take Adam, I did not like this Battle Royal the first time I saw it when I watched the Battle Royal live, or the pay-per-view live. Adam Page is so, was, was so much on a higher level than everybody else in this Battle Royal. It was a foregone conclusion who was going to win it to me. Well, and, and that's kind of my issue with this whole thing, right? And again, maybe the creative changed. Maybe the idea was, you know, we're going to have Paige and Pac, you know, be involved in the title picture and then the, the battle royal. I don't remember the exact timings of when what was announced, but to me, Adam Page winning uh, the, the battle royal against a bunch of also theirs, getting a title shot against someone who had to go through an absolute war in the main event, to me, seems dumb yeah but again this thing only went like you got all these guys in there it barely goes 10 minutes uh adam page is your winner how the hell this got three stars i have no idea because it wasn't that good as soon as adam page was announced you knew he was winning you didn't need to watch any more of it than that um and i agree 100 percent with the minute he came out there with his bad leg that Pac injured you knew it was over yeah 
Exactly. Um, the second match on the pre-show, Kip Sabian defeats Sammy Guevara uh, via pinfall, 9 minutes and 55 seconds. This was a good match. A couple of smaller, high-flyer types. Um, I remember I actually went back and looked up some of my tweets during this event because I, I bought this event. Uh, and paid the $50 Canadian to watch this thing. And I rem- I tweeted during the event, Sammy Guevara is going to be something special in five years. Uh, you were off by about four. I, I, I was, I was, yeah. Listen, Sammy Guevara is one of the most talented high flyers I've ever seen. Um, this match was great. Um, there was a, a couple of spots where I feared for my life, even though I wasn't there. Um, but great match. Uh, I, I was kind of bummed out that Sabian picked up the win, but again, on a dark match on your first, um, event where you really don't have any storylines going in, there's really no harm to winning or losing any of these matches other than the last two. Um, I was fine with it in the end. I thought this was great. I thought, and again, something else I tweeted at the time, um, that this was a pay-per-view to introduce people to wrestlers you did not know that were going to be core pillars of your company. And if you did not know Kip Sabian and Sammy Guevara coming into the pre-show, your initial impression of them was, wow, these dudes have talent yeah and like we we talked about sammy but let's not undersell kip sabian here too he is great and he's kind of been undersold in his spot Mm. on tv he's on tv all the time he's got you know he's got the manager he was on with he was with rusev or miro uh miro has kicked the crap out of him now he's off for surgery He's going to come back better, I have no doubt. And he's going to be a babyface when he comes back. Yeah. And I think Miro's probably going to kill him again. But he's going to be that great underneath babyface. And Sammy is too. Like, with the inner circle turning good, or being good guys now, like, he is going to be that Ricky Morton looking out, you know, help me. He's going to be that guy. Yeah, I feel like this is where, and again, I, I don't want to talk too 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 much about what's going on right now, but in the context of it, this is where I really feel like AEW needs a third singles title because y- you don't Kip Sabian doesn't really have a purpose anymore. Like he's been written off. You know, maybe he, he like maybe they'll string the the TNT title along Miro long enough that. You know that Kip Sabian and Miro will will have uh, you know a, a little feud over the title, um, but there was a, a period of time there where you just weren't sure what Kip Sabian's purpose was, other than that we got to look at Penelope Ford while they were both on TV. Um, but you know, lots of time for them to iron that stuff out. I don't think Kip Sabian is going anywhere anytime soon. Um, so let's move now. I made reference to this earlier. We get to the main show, and as what became commonplace at AEW pay-per-views for about a year, the first guys through the curtain on the main show are SCU. 
as Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky uh, will take on uh, Seema, L. Lindemann, and T-Hawk from the Oriental Wrestling Group. Uh, SCU picks up the win in 14 minutes in what was, according to Mr. Meltzer, a four-star match, and I don't necessarily disagree. I don't either. I watched the show uh, this past week in preparation for this episode. This is, this is like from top to bottom, like really is a great show. Things pick up at a certain spot, but you can't be mad at any of these matches. And I'm a big fan of Seema, T-Hawk, and L. Lindemann because they do things a little differently um, they were in with a great team in in SCU, and it was a great way to kick off the first pay per view match in AEW. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think this was great. I think uh, obviously, you know, something that wasn't a any sort of problem during the early days of AEW was how hot the crowds were. Uh, the crowds were absolutely insane at all of these events. Um, but I think this is a great match. Again, I think, um, you know, this was more than just showcasing some guys from a partnership. I think that's what a lot of people thought that we were going to get here, um, you know, with 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 Seema and L. Lindemann and T-Hawk. But they got their stuff in. They were great. There were some great uh, near falls in this. Um, again, I, I think it makes sense for SCU to go over here. Um, but it was a great match. Uh, definitely. I think a good choice to, to kind of kick things off, uh, in terms of, you know, match structure. Uh, from there we go to the, what was originally a women's three way match, which ends up being a women's four way match as before the match, Brandy Rhodes comes out, uh, and I think a lot of people thought at that point she was going to introduce herself as the fourth participant. But, oh no! It's Awesome Kong uh, making her return to the wrestling landscape. I think it had been probably three or four years maybe since she had wrestled? I'm thinking since she'd been on U.S. television it was probably that short run she had as Karma. Awesome. Maybe she did some impact after that, but at that, yeah. So she did. So yeah. So the last time uh, she had been on TV was uh, in January 2016. Uh, she was uh, on an Impact episode. Okay. Uh, so it had been a few years. Uh, so she comes back again, and during her time off, um, she had uh, been part of the Glow series, which was a women's wrestling uh, 1980s inspired show uh, on Netflix, which is awesome. And I definitely suggest you watch. It's a great show. if You've never seen it before. Um, but yeah, so awesome. Kong is the fourth one in here, but at the end of the day, we get force fed the Dr. Britt Baker victory. as She picks up the pinfall uh, in just over 11 minutes. <sighs> I didn't hate it. No, but it was obvious that that we were getting force-fed some Dr. Britt Baker here early on. I wanted to see Nyla Rose and Awesome Kong more. Yes. 
But, Me too. Yeah, because I mean, those two are just like Nyla's a little bit bigger than Kong t- height wise. And if Kong had been in better, I don't want to say in better shape because that's a different, that's not what I mean. If she wasn't as run down as she was by this point in her career, she stuck around for a little bit with Brandy Rhodes and that whole nightmare collective thing that. Nobody really quite knows what that was. But and, she, nobody, and nobody liked. No. And Kong, she just, she wasn't the Kong she should have. She was. Mm-hmm. Um, she was about three years too late uh, in her career for this. Yeah. A at her prime awesome Kong against a Nyla Rose now would be crazy yeah it would be it would be a train wreck match in the good sense of the word yeah exactly and then we already talked about kylie ray and what happened there Britt baker is really a a plus when it comes to aew on the training side and the development side uh another one who's who's like that and again not getting too deep into newer stuff but to taking somebody who came in with very little training had spent a couple of years at the performance center it was kind of so-so who has then come into aew and has bloomed is ty conte mm-hmm. her getting away from wwe is a black mark for wwe in my opinion because yeah. she, she has bloomed so much in her AEW time that it's crazy. Yeah, I think, again, it's going to be very, very interesting to see where the AEW women's division is in a year to 18 months. Because they have so many talents who are really starting to come out of their shell. Um, Tay Conti is one of those. Um, I think it's now that Chris Statlander is back. Um, you know, they have, you know, a host of others. Well, just the are... ones you've never seen on Dynamite. Um, I cannot remember her name. She's on Dark all the time, and you see her on Dynamite in the crowd. Um, she's the tall redhead with the the green along the, the eyes whose name I can't remember, but I've seen her in a bunch of matches on dark and dark elevation and she's great and getting better with each match. So just somebody like that, that can, that can do it. But once again, you see where the basis of the AEW women's division is going to be in this match. It didn't quite work out because of Kong's injuries, because Britt wasn't ready at the time. Kylie Ray had her issues and Nyla Rose really put the, that division on her back for the first little bit. And then we ended up with Rio who was great. I like Rio. I'm yep. a big fan of Sheeta. Yeah. So it's not been bad, but you didn't have that foundation. I think they were expecting. Well, and I mean, again, you, you just look like right up and down the roster. I mean, you know, uh, 
Ali is one who doesn't get in the ring a whole lot. Um, Anna J of the Dark Order, I believe she's hurt at the moment. Shoulder, uh, yeah. Yeah, Big Swole has has been in some great matches. Mm-hmm. You, you've got the Good Doctor. You've got Sheeta. Uh, Jade Cargill is just getting her foot in the door uh, at AEW. Again, I mentioned Chris Statlander, who's back. You've got Nyla Rose, Penelope Ford. Red Velvet is another new one on the scene yeah. who has been very impressive. Uh, you mentioned Riho. Uh, Serena Deeb is another one who's been getting uh, matches on Dark and Dark Elevation, who is really starting to kind of, you know, get, uh, that sort of timing and experience in the ring. We talked about Tay Conti already, and there's a well, host you of talk, others. You and talk I mean, about that's before Keen. we even talk about Abaddon, who's the scariest woman in the history of mankind, and I can't watch it because she freaks me out. But, like, they've got a huge amount of talent to build this division around. You talk about Serena Deeb getting exp- Serena Deeb has the experience. Yeah, Serena Deeb was Serena in the Straight Edge Society for CM Punk many years ago. She's the NWA right now World Women's Champion. So she's one of these people who can take these young wrestlers and show them the ropes and show them what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're and that's that list you you read off. Those are all great main roster talents mm-hmm. not even mentioning the again the six or seven that are on dark or dark elevation every week yeah that's right it's going to be really interesting like i said to see over the next 12 to 18 months where where this women's division ends up because right now what i see is an absolute metric ton of potential uh, speaking of guys with lots of potential, we go to our next match. Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta pick up the win over Angelico and Jack Evans, uh, better known as the Highlighter Brothers, uh, is what I called them for a while, because, man, these dudes wore some bright stuff. Uh, it goes, it go- hybrid 2? The hybrid 2.0? Yeah, whatever. Like they, yeah. They, yeah, they look they look like a pair of Bic Highlighters. Um, they go just under 13 minutes. Meltzer gives it three and three quarter stars. Again, four guys that, that, you know, the casual wrestling fan had absolutely no idea who these guys were. Uh, but again, a, the theme of this card, a very solid match to introduce these guys to a wider audience. And talking about introducing guys after this match, the lights go out, lights come back on. And we get the debut of Evil, not unnamed at this point, but Evil Uno and Stu Grayson, who I knew as the Super Smash Brothers, but turn out to be the beginning uh, with the minions of the Dark Order. Yep. Yeah, the Dark Order in the beginning was was also scary. Um, and I think, again, what what this whole match and the Dark Order at the end really shows you right off the bat is that AEW plans on taking tag team wrestling very seriously because you're coming off of what was a great tag team match. You already showcased, you know, SCU and the guys from OWE in a six man action earlier. Now you've got, you know, the dark order comes out. So right. You're immediately putting in people's minds within the first three matches of this card. 
tag team wrestling is going to be a serious thing. You've got you still got the Young Bucks and Penta and Ray Phoenix to come, uh, and that to me was you know as someone who is I'm definitely not a casual wrestling fan. Uh, that was very apparent to me as I'm like, ooh, these guys are going to take tag team wrestling seriously. This is going to be fun to watch. I was interested. Uh, I'm a guy who's oh, I've always kind of been a big fan of the weirder gimmicks. I'm a huge fan of The Fiend. I was always a big fan of, of Bray Wyatt before that. Um, kind of the spookier Undertaker was more of a fan mm-hmm. of that. So Dark Order to me was right up my alley. It got kind of dumb for a while. Uh, and kind of bad. And then when when Brody came, kind of turned that all around and then with his passing and what's happened since then with the Dark Order, I don't want to say it was... Dark Order's being used better now than it ever has been, in my opinion. Yeah, I think for a while there early on, I think it, it, it was kind of, eh. Like, I, I, you know, it really didn't seem to have much of a purpose. And then, when, you know, again, the whole Exalted One angle... Um, really sort of gave it that next level that they really needed to sort of make the Dark Order uh, something you took a little more seriously as opposed to it just being, you know, what it was. Um, And and again, how it's kind of evolved, you know, weaved in and out of real life with, with, again, Brody's passing and whatnot. I, I definitely enjoy the Dark Order in its current iteration way much more than I enjoyed it original few months but uh you know again it's one of those things sometimes gimmicks don't work right off the bat and you gotta adjust on the fly i think again when they introduced brody as the exalted one i was like "Ooh, okay now these guys got got something going that i have a little more interest in um next up we've got hikaru shida and riho and rio mizunami Taking on Aja Kong, Amy Sakurai, and Yuka Sakazaki. I think I got all six of those names. You got right. all of those right. Every one a, of them. It was a six-person tag with international flavor. It goes 13 minutes and 10 seconds with Shida, Riho, and Mizunami picking up the win. Meltzer gives it three and three-quarter stars. Now we know what we know now. Uh, you know, Riho and Hikaru Shida. Both have been AEW Women's World Champion. Sheeta for the last ever. <laughs> She's been champion for over a year now, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, this was a good match. Again, six women. I had no idea who they were, uh, but I came away from this impressed. Uh, yeah, uh, they were. I, they I, held themselves very well in the ring. Yeah, no, I worked real, uh, looked real well at this match. That it was very fast paced until Aja Kong got in there. Uh, Aja kind of had that awesome Kong issue where maybe it's a little kind of long in the tooth on this side of it, but uh, worked really well with everybody. And, and she's a name, Aja Kong. It's a, a name from Japan that uh, was really big. In the earlier 90s, she had a very, very quick run in WWE uh, around the time our Alundra Blaze and Bull Nakano were 
were uh, facing each other. Aja Kong was there as well. Uh, I don't get the Freddie Mercury thing with Emi Sakura. Uh, you could put Yuka Sakazaki on every week and I'd be happy because she just looks like she's having so much fun. Yep. Uh, um, again, big fan of Shida, fan of Rio. Uh, Misanami, I'm not the biggest fan of, but she's good at what she does in the ring. Yeah. And it was a great match. Fans were into it. Yeah, I think it was a good match. I think they kind of had this in there, you know, as maybe as a let up match because of the triple main event that was to come. But again, it, it was it was better than I expected, hundred uh, percent. Um, next up, we have maybe the greatest match in AEW history, still up to this point, debatable. I know uh, Cody defeats Dustin Rhodes, his brother. 22 minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, this one gets the five-star treatment from Dave Meltzer, and in my opinion, it's worth every damn one of them. I don't even want to talk about this match because everybody should just go watch it. Yeah. I, there's nothing that you and I can say here that is going to really get down to what this match was. You have to have, to see it to believe how good this match is. Dustin hits a, hits a gusher and just, yeah, that was probably, that was probably my only issue with the match was, and again, you know, when, when you, when you have blood in a match, you always run the risk of it being too much. In my opinion, it was too much. Um, by the end of this match, I mean, these guys went 22 and a half damn minutes and he was bleeding for 20 of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and he lost a lot of blood, uh, in the match. And it was, you know, at certain points I started to, to find myself slightly worried about the amount of blood that he had lost. Um, like again, you knew going into this match, it was going, there was going to be color, no doubt in my mind. You're not going to get a brother versus brother grudge match, um, you know, w- without a little bit, of, a little bit of color happening. But again, this was just this was one of those matches that it, it the story that it told, and you know, a lot of people assuming that this was kind of Dustin's farewell party, which of course we have learned to you know in the last two years, it most certainly was not. Uh, and I mean, he could still go, you know, Cody w- was at the top of his game. Uh, you know, at, they, they kind of come together at the end of the match with Cody in tears saying, I need my brother. And it was just, man, the story that they told with this match again, like I said, it was worth every single one of those five stars. And I could have done without the stupid sledgehammer, to the throne spot. I know we talked about that, but for those of you, if you may not have seen it, Cody's intro, he comes out. There is a throne in between the entrances and it has the very similar to triple H cross on the top of it. Uh, the, the, the equilateral cross and Cody starts to walk towards the ring and Brandy is standing there with the sledgehammer. Obviously, the sledgehammer being Triple H's weapon of choice. Cody takes the sledgehammer. He goes back up. He bashes the throne. 
The crowd goes absolutely nuts. Completely unnecessary shot. I mean, I understand the symbolism symbolism of it, right? It's Cody freeing himself from, you know, the perceived WWE holding him down. Dude, that was seven years ago at the time. Get over it. <laughs> like, again, I just, I didn't see a need for it other than to poke the bear a little bit and get people talking about a rivalry and to fire up the crowd. And to be fair, it worked because everybody was talking about it the next day and asking Triple H about it and asking WWE superstars about it. So if that, which I'm guaranteed that was the point of it, it worked. But for me personally, I could have did without it. Our semi-main event is a tag team match for the Triple A World Tag Team Championship. It is champions the Young Bucks defeating Phoenix and Pentagon Jr. It's uh, time I have on it is 24-55. It was a Young Bucks Lucha Brothers match. Like at this point, we've seen this a few times. Um, I'm not as big a fan of Pentagon or Pented the Zero Miro um, now as I was then because I think he spams his trademark way too much. Uh, the first five minutes of every Pentagon match is the same. Takes the glove off, does it the taunt a few times, and then gets into it. Uh, but at this time, this is mind-blowing stuff that these guys are doing. Uh, and it was it, it was it's it was fit to be the semi main, no doubt about it. Yeah, for every bit as good as Cody and Dustin was, this match was not that much of a slouch compared to that. Um, Meltzer gives it four and three quarter stars. Um, again, and, and that to me is a pretty solid rating. This match had everything. Uh, it had some very huge spots. Um, you know, again, some of some that were a little more death defying than I'm usually comfortable with in a match, but that sort of has been, you know, what these guys did. You know, this this was a feud that that kept going for a, a, a few months longer. It had been brewing for a few months before. Uh, this was sort of the next escalation of that. Um, yeah, it was great. And again, you know, I, I think I, I was surprised. I thought for sure after the Lucha Brothers dropping the titles in Mexico that they would get them back in America as some sort of, you know, symbolic victory. That did not happen here. The Young Bucks retain the AAA Tag Team Championships. Um, yeah, an absolutely great match. Uh, the, the sandwich between two other great matches. Um yeah, I really don't have anything bad to say about it. It was it was everything that it needed to be. And your main event for the evening, Chris Jericho defeats Kenny Omega and will face Adam Page, the Casino Battle Royal winner, for the uh, inaugural AEW World Championship at All Out. This went about 24 minutes. We should say as well, earlier in the night, the AEW World Championship was revealed. Bret Hart did that. There was a bit of a back and forth between Adam Page and MJF as well. Uh, but this match was great. It it kind of matched up with what they had done in Japan as well. Uh, but the right, I think, in my 
idea the right guy went over with Jericho defeating Kenny Omega. Yeah, I think again, you know, at this point with with you know in terms of optics, I think you know Jericho winning was was the right move. I think he, you know, Kenny was more in a position to take an L here um than Jericho. I think you're at this kind of point where Jericho is the most recognizable widespread mainstream wrestling name in the promotion. So obviously he seems like the most sensible guy to um you know lead the company early on here again you you know based on the earlier stipulations that means that we're going to get Jericho against Adam Page for the inaugural AEW World Championship which I think is a smart move I think you know on the other hand if you would have had Omega and Page I think you know two guys that are very much involved with being the elite and the kind of the formation of the company I think that would have been Optics wise, not the best way to start, um, you know, your, your company, but here's the thing to, and I'll be completely honest. I, you know, I don't remember a whole lot of this match because of how unbelievable the segment was after the match. Um, that's how huge what happened after the match is that because this match was was amazing four and four or four and a quarter stars from Meltzer um you know a lot of people were commenting about oh Jericho looks out of shape blah 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 dude's like 47 years old man he's in a hundred times better shape than I am and I'm only 39 uh he did everything he needed to do um you know he you know kept up with Omega and then, you know, after the match, he's, uh, you know, doing his Chrissy Jericho type things where he's, you know, because going into the match, he had said he wanted everybody to thank him and all of that fun stuff, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, John Moxley comes through the crowd. So one thing we haven't talked about going into this was that JR was on commentary uh, during the event, which maybe we should have mentioned before now, but whatever, right? That doesn't matter. <laughs> we can do We'll talk about how bad JR is at commentary some other time. But just that ringing in your ear of JR going, hey, hey as John Moxley is coming through the crowd and the crowd's going absolutely berserk. Like like the place after three hours of a pay-per-view and how into every moment they were, they still had enough in the tank for the loudest pop of the night when John Moxley steps in the ring and plants Chris Jericho and you're like, Holy crap. Like, what the hell? And then uh, Moxley and Omega battle. Omega ends up taking a huge bump off the poker chips that were out at the entrance ramp. Like, it was just the, the, the ending of this. You turn this off when you were done. And you were like, that's it. 
I, I cannot wait to see what AEW has next. They did in the course of three hours, exactly what they needed to do. They introduced people to the product and they left you with natural storylines that they could evolve, um, you know, as they head into the summer, because again, the TV portion doesn't start until the fall. So they can sort of slow burn this stuff out. But having John Moxley come in, you know, as that, huge debut at the end of the show like you turned this off and you were like i need more of this like hook it to my veins right now well and you would get two more events in the summer before we get to television or before we get to television as a matter of fact three more shows before dynamite starts uh fighter fest happened in june uh fight for the fallen happened in july and then on august 31st 2019 uh we went all out uh, at that event, the AEW World Women's Championship belt was unveiled, uh, and it was said that that match uh, would be awarded uh, on the first show of Dynamite that was coming up. Also, Chris Jericho defeated Adam Page to become the inaugural AEW World Champion. We got a one-hour preview show for AEW Dynamite on October 1st, and then on October 2nd, Dynamite debuted on TNT averaging 1.4 million views, uh, viewers, making it the largest television debut on TNT in five years. Also that night, NXT makes its two-hour debut on USA Network, and they averaged 891,000 viewers. Dynamite beats out NXT in viewership and more than doubled its competition in the key adult 18-49 demo. Uh, it would mark the beginning of the Wednesday Night Wars that would continue up till really about a month ago prior to and after the episodes uh, untelevised matches were filmed to air on AEW Dark on the following Tuesdays except before pay-per-view events where they would air on Friday on AEW's YouTube channel it was the first professional wrestling program to air on TNT since the final episode of Monday Nitro on March 26, 2001 what happened on Dynamite? well we got special appearances by Kevin Smith and Jason Mews. We got Riho versus Nyla Rose for the World Women's Championship. Uh, Jake Hager debuted. Oh, yeah. And they put together the Inner Circle. <laughs> That's right. And the Inner Circle's still around now. Um, you know, here's the thing. To kind of put a bow on all of this, because, you know, this has been a lot over the last two episodes. And, you know, we're pushing an hour and 40 minutes in this episode. The, the, I think, you know, it's, it, it's funny to look back, you know, it's only a couple of years in the rear view window and, and realize how much of the initial AEW creation that I have forgotten. You know, I remember double or nothing uh, and all in and all out and, and, you know, but there was so what I think the big picture of this is, is that there was so many, calculated moves in this using social media and YouTube the way that they did in the absence of television until like you mentioned October um, you know building hype for this through a show that anybody around the world can watch for free on YouTube using social media to push storylines along and 
you know, one thing that was 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 commented a lot in the early of, uh, days of AEW was now that they have weekly TV, we, we can finally get like weekly storylines and things moving along. And we had the inner circle, and that was a really cool, fun thing right off the bat that they put together. But all of this just weaved so well together. And and you know what? You look back at, at that, even though it's only two to three years in the past, I don't think you would really change anything of how it went. I think it, I think from, from, from Tony Khan right on down, the people that made the decisions to execute the things the way they did, I think up until, you know, everything that we've covered in the last two episodes, everything was done pretty much the way you would want them to be done. Um, great events, great matches, uh, you know, intrigue, the good formational storylines, a good choice for your first world champion. Again, you know, for a promotion that's only been around for a couple of years, they've got some really memorable moments in the bank, and it's just been... Uh, it's been fun. It had to be fair. AEW has rekindled my interest in wrestling. Oh, for sure. Um, I never left, but I I'll be honest. I wasn't, I was more interested in the documentaries and that the WWE was putting together. The network was a big thing for me. Uh, I enjoyed the kind of the shoulder programming more than, Three out. I can't do three hours of Raw yeah. on Monday night. Like I watched. I was a pay per view guy. Yeah, I would watch the pay per views. And to be fair, with WWE, that's still my approach. Yet yes. with AEW, I watch Dynamite every week. I watch BTE. I mean, I know BTE is not really like storyline AEW, but I watch it pretty much every week. Uh, I watch. I'll skim through Dark and Dark Elevation as well. I I won't do that with with WWE programming. It's too long. It's too boring. Yeah, no, exactly. I have no interest. Like we are the, as we're taping this, we are a Monday evening heading uh, after a pay-per-view, which would normally be a big thing to, to watch raw to see what's going to happen. I, I'm not going to, I don't even have raw on my PVR anymore. Like it doesn't record because I just don't have the time. I'll pick up the highlights on YouTube like tomorrow. Uh, but that's the beginning of AEW uh, from all in to double or nothing to all out to dynamite. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you think. You can do that on our socials uh, for the show. Uh, you can check us out at facebook.com slash ringside rewind on Twitter at ringside rewind. Uh, also, you can check out Snaggle J uh, at Snaggle J. And uh, I am at C.D. Lawrence. As always, we thank you so much. If you're listening on our website, ringsiderewind.com, or if you're listening in your podcast app of choice on Android or iOS, we appreciate your ear holes as you let us dive back into the Rewind Machine, talking about all of the great wrestling of the past. Uh, we will be back with some great, fresh episodes. We've got lots of awesome, amazing stuff planned out down the pipeline we can't wait for you to hear it uh here on ringside rewind and until next time be kind and rewind